All right, so a few years ago, back in 2015, uh, uh, seven people gathered for the first meeting of an, a rather unusual group. Uh, the founder of the group had, had uh, gone to meet up on, on the, uh, online, and, and meet up is a place where you can start groups or you can find groups that have common interests, the things that you're interested about. And, and so he had started this group, and it was kind of unusual because it was a group specifically about quitting. And how he pitched it was, there's just some things that maybe you've been trying for years and years and years, and it is overwhelming you and you're discouraged, and maybe it's time to quit so you can get on with life. Uh, so one of the participants wanted to be a writer, but had not, of the seven people, one wanted to be a writer, had not really written a word <laughs> uh, yet. Another people wanted to be an artist. Another person wanted to be an artist. Another person wanted to be an actor. Uh, this was in Washington, D.C. One person wanted to quit Washington, D.C., wanted to get out of Washington, D.C. One person said, I want, I'm done with my friends. I want to move on from my friends. And so a funny thing happened in this first meeting. There was an article on it. And, uh, because the writer had noticed this unusual group and had actually talked to the person who had started it. And the funny thing that happened is that everyone encouraged all the other people not to quit. And not only did they encourage them not to quit, they gave them ideas for how to maybe accomplish the thing that they had set out to do. And so they were giving the writer, you know, all kinds of ideas. Just relax. Just get up every morning and do this and do that. And just write some stuff down. Just, just get something down on paper. So they're all giving each other advice, except for one person who they said, you really ought to, ought to quit. It was a guy in high tech who had basically chased high-paying jobs uh, over many, many years. He'd just gone from one job to another and one city to another. And he said, I'm just tired of that. I want to I settle down. I want to live in a small town like where I grew up and I want to get to know people, I want to have some roots. And actually, they looked at him and said, good idea, you, you ought to quit. So, um, all of us really are in danger sometimes of quitting things uh, that we should not quit. There's some things that God wants us in our, to do in our lives and we are in danger of quitting those things. And sometimes there's some things that we should quit because they're holding us back, right, from the things that God wants for us uh, in our lives. And that's what our passage is really about today. Um, it's mostly about not quitting. The vast majority is about not quitting. But then when we get to the very end of what we're looking at today, we're going to see some things that the passage calls us to quit, to indeed we ought to quit some things. So the passage is Hebrews 11. It's a famous pa passage in the Bible. If you're, if you're new to the Bible, it's fun to get to introduce you to this chapter because it's a great chapter. We won't read the whole thing, but we're going to read a lot of it. It's known as the faith chapter, also known as the hall of fame of faith. It's known as the heroes of faith uh, because um, what, what happens in, in Hebrews 11 um, is that all these people are listed and some of the things that they did because of their faith to encourage the people that are being written to. And a lot of people are familiar with Hebrews 11. I certainly came into this sermon familiar with Hebrews 11, but I can't say that when I think of Hebrews 11 before this weekend, I can't say that when I think of Hebrews 11 that my mind immediately goes to the why behind Hebrews 11. And yet, it's the why that actually animates much of what's happening here. I think it's really important to get the why. And the why behind Hebrews 11 about faith is what the people are going through, the difficulties that these Christians are going through, and the danger that they are in of walking away from their faith. 
That's the why behind it. The whole epistle of Hebrews, that is the why behind that whole epistle, is that there are these Christians. In fact, it comes in time and time again. Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. And it comes to a head in Hebrews chapter 10, right before the chapter on faith. So we're going to start there. We're going to look at verse 32, uh, because it really sets up what's being talked about in chapter 11. So here's what it says. Hebrews 10, verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light. What he's saying is when you first came to faith, when you first became followers of Jesus. When you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. He's encouraging them in that. Now skip to verse 39 where it just continues with that. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. In other words, what he's saying here to them, he's saying, you have endured for so long. Don't you understand? We do not belong to the quitters club. That's what he's saying. We do not belong to the quitters club. He uses the language of belonging like to a group. You don't, don't belong to those who shrink back. You belong to as he's going to explain, to this faith club uh, made up of, as we read it, just about all the major players of the entire Old Testament. We belong to that club of those people. And so chapter 11 is a recounting of these main players from the Old Testament story and how they applied faith and how faith got them through difficulties and through challenges. That's the context of chapter 11. Everything is related to that, all right? So, here's some of the list of the people and some of the repetition of faith. It says, by faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. And by faith, even Sarah. By faith, Isaac. And this, these are just quotes that I can't, you know, it's the quickest way to show you. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph, by faith, Moses' parents, by faith, Moses, by faith, the people, by faith, the prostitute Rahab. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the, and the prophets who through faith. He's just constantly saying, this is, these are people who made it because of faith. Faith, 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 faith. And then in chapter 12... It continues with the same theme, and now it introduces the idea that sometimes there are some things that we should quit. Shouldn't quit our faith, but there's some things that we should quit. So here's what it says at the beginning of chapter 12 after that whole list of people of faith. Can I have the next slide, please? Must be stuck. I'll read it to you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything, quit this, everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. <laughs> That's what you ought to quit. You ought to quit anything, quit everything that hinders you. That can mean good things. It doesn't necessarily mean sins. It doesn't necessarily mean things that are bad for us. Quit anything that is 
bad, that is good or bad. And then it says, quit the sin that so easily entangles you, entangles you in basically in the things of this world. It's like, if you lose your possessions, you lose your faith. Whereas they, when they lost their possessions, they, they're like, we have better possession that's coming for us. So don't get entangled in the things of this world. So the whole chapter, and even into chapter 12, it's about faith keeping us from quitting, from quitting the faith. It's also the faith, as we get to chapter 12, that drives us to quit certain things. So it's faith that drives us to quit certain things that we ought to quit. Faith is what keeps us going when it's hard. Faith is what keeps us going when we're tempted to quit. So how is faith the fuel of following Jesus through difficulties and through the temptation of quitting? We're going to look at several ways. And one of those ways is that faith is how we learn or how we live confidently and with assurance. It's how in the midst of whatever difficulty we're going through, whatever overwhelming suffering it might be, it's faith that is like the fuel that keeps us going, that we can live confidently, we can be confident in the midst of what's ever happening, and we can have assurance. So, in a sense, before, before the author of Hebrews gets into this list of people of the faith club, he explains that faith is that thing that gives us confidence, and he talks about the kind of faith uh, specifically. So look at verse one, where it says, now faith, is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about we, what we do not see. Now, I don't know if I can say this confidently, <laughs> this confidently, uh, but I don't think that's a definition of faith. A lot of times when we think, okay, where does the Bible define faith? We think Hebrews 11.1, 1, if you're familiar with this passage. I think Hebrews 11.1, 1, well, that, it says right there, it's a definition. I don't, I don't think that's a definition per se. Faith is very specifically trusting God. It's putting our trust in God. If you want a definition, that's a little bit believing in God, trusting God. That's a definition of faith. This is more describing the kind of faith that he's talking about here. When I'm going to be talking about Abel and Abraham and all, this is the kind of faith that I'm talking about. It's kind of like if I said um, gas or uh, oil is the fuel of the American economy. Is that a definition? It's not really a definition, is it? It's just kind of giving an explanation of oil, what oil is, one of the aspects of oil. So what faith here is talking about is the kind of faith that he's talking about in verse 39. So look back at verse 39. What we, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now let me tell you how faith does that. It gives us confidence. It gives us assurance in the midst of all the suffering, which is the context here. It gives us what we need to make it through those things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna list this whole group of people, this club, but first let's be clear about the kind of faith that I'm talking about. It's the faith that gives confidence and assurance that what God said will happen will actually happen. Because that's the faith that's applied throughout this chapter. It's people, person after person, who believes that what God said will happen will actually happen. It's not simple optimism. It's not just this kind of, you know, believe so you can achieve type of mantra, okay? That is not what's being said here. And we know that because especially as we get to the end of the chapter, 
the people who apply faith that specifically the author lists did not achieve. Person after person who did not achieve. We'll see in a few moments, did not get to see the thing that God had promised. They didn't get to see it with their eyes. In this life, they did not get to see the thing that God has promised. So this isn't just some kind of optimism. Um, this is about moving forward in confidence and assurance that God will come through on his word, even if it doesn't happen to me or in my life. That's the kind of faith he's talking about here. Faith is the fuel for following Jesus because faith is the confidence and assurance that we need to follow Jesus in the long haul when things get really tough. And Jesus said they will get tough. Jesus said they'll get so tough you ought to count the cost before you begin to follow. You ought to be really clear about what the cost is going to be because there is going to be a cost to this. It's going to cost us dearly. Number two. Faith is how we please God. This is how it is the fuel of our life. It's how we please God. So look at verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So think of, think of, it, think of it like this. Um, uh, Religion, and I'm going to differentiate between religion and Christianity uh, here for a moment. Let me, let me back up for a second. Uh, Christianity is one of the world's religions. All right, so in a sense, Christianity is a religion. But as Christians, we often look and say, but there's something so unique about Christianity that we don't even consider it a religion because we actually consider it to be a relationship. All right, so there's two different ways you can talk about Christianity. And, and so religion, speaking of it in contrast, religions of the world say that uh, the door to God is at the end of a series of accomplishments. All right, so you've got this, it's like you've got this door up there, like here, and you've got to climb these stairs of accomplishments in order to then go through the door and be good enough for God, so that God will accept you. That's, that's just about every religion of the world. And so the idea uh, there can be manyfold. It can be that the stairs, the, the accomplishments are good works, you know, doing good things for people, or living a very moral life, moral enough that you can go through the door. Uh, it, it can be being re really religious, going through certain rituals, making sure that you do all the rituals of your religion. It, in, in some uh, religions of the world, it's not so much about doing things as, as it is about rising above, above the world. So reaching a, a, a great meditative state so then you can kind of have access to God in some kind of amorphous idea of God. Um, uh, and, and so all religions are about accomplishments so you can go to the door and when you get there you can open the door and God, God will let you, let you in. Christianity says that the door is at the very beginning. The door is at the very beginning and the door is the grace of God that he's shown us in Christ. And faith is what opens that door. So we receive what God has done for us in Christ. Christ 
died for our sins. He died to make us right with God, to reconcile us with God. And so it's right at the very beginning, faith opens the door of grace because it's the way we receive grace, which is a gift. Something you have to receive, it's not something you achieve, it's something that you receive from God. So in a sense, the author is saying, these folks didn't, weren't made right with God by what they did, they did what they did because they had been made right with God by faith. And that's what you see in this passage. It's how you please God. You don't please God through a whole list of accomplishments and then come before him and say, am I good enough now? You please God by putting your faith in him and believing that he is the one that has made it possible for you to be in a relationship with him. And so one of the other places in this passage where this is stated is in verse four. Look at verse four. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. Now, what he's saying here is that Abel brought a better offering. And it is a strange passage. You go back to, to Genesis chapter 4, and Cain and Abel both bring offerings to God. One brings a, a blood offering of an animal. One brings an offering of more of a crop offering, and God accepts the blood animal one, and you go, and he doesn't accept the other one. And you go, what's going on? And what this passage tells us, God was looking at the faith that brought it. It was the faith of him, not the offering, but his faith that was behind the offering. So it's not Abel's offering, but the faith behind that offering. So uh, in, uh, four, in Romans, for example, the Apostle Paul talks about the same thing but with regard to Abraham. So in Romans, this is what he says in chapter four. If in fact Abraham was justified, it means made righteous, another way to say this, made right with God. If in fact Abraham was made right with God by works, by doing things, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God, put his faith, the same word as faith, put his faith in God, and it was credited it to him, it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, so it's faith that makes us right with God. The Apostle Paul says it without any example, just more in a theoretical way in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says this, For it is by grace, unmerited favor, that you have been saved through faith. That's how you receive it. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In a crowd this size, there's always gonna be a group of people that for whom this is such a paradigm shift, such a different way of looking at life that they cannot get it. I mean, ultimately, it's gotta be the Holy Spirit that, that brings enlightenment about this into our hearts. But there's always people who, like, I can read all this to someone, I can have, and I've had conversations like this, just talk through all of this, how the Bible is so clear that it's by faith that we're made right with God and then our life proceeds from faith. And they'll say, well, when I get my life a little bit more together, then maybe I can become a Christian. <laughs> I'm like, no, no. Faith is the door <laughs> at the very beginning. There is no staircase. If you 
go even halfway up that staircase and say, maybe now, maybe now I'm good enough to, to get right with God. And this, oh, I give it to you, God. He will not accept because it doesn't please him. What pleases him is a faith in what he has done for us. He has done it. We can't do it. I just, I can't, I, I just want to urge you that if you've never received what God has done through, just look at this verse. It's in the outlines. If you didn't pick up an outline on the way in, take it home with you. Read it over. Meditate. Ask God to re reveal it to you that you come into a relationship with God by faith. And then life proceeds in that faith. From first to last, that's how we live our lives. And then I, I urge you to accept that. To receive God's grace by putting your faith in Christ. And stop trying to bring something to God to get him to say, okay, you're good enough now. Stop, just let go of that. It'll ruin you. It, it is not the way that God wants to have a relationship with you. Number three, faith is how we obey God. Faith is actually how we obey God. So one of the consistent themes that runs through chapter 11 of this faith club is that these people do what God says to do. And they don't do it just because they're so duty-bound or they're so self-disciplined. Uh, although self-discipline and self-control and all those things come into it, they do it by faith. They do it by trusting God. So uh, Abraham is given as, as, as like the quintessential example in Scripture of someone who has put their faith in God and followed him in that way. And uh, we have two examples of this. Uh, one of them beginning in verse 8 explains how this obedience flows out of our faith. By faith, Abraham, uh, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. So just a little background real quickly here. If you uh, don't know the story of Abraham, Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation and by faith, our father as well, our, our spiritual father is Christians. And so Abraham is told by God, he's just an idol worshiper. He's just living in this one land uh, as part of his you know, extended family of his father. And, and God says, I want you to go and I'm gonna send you a place to some place. I'm gonna bless you. You're gonna be a blessing to the whole world. I've chosen you for this. And as you go, um, you know, it'll ha it doesn't even tell him where he's gonna go. He says, where am I going to go? He says, I'll let you know when you get there. Okay, so he just, by faith, he goes. He obeys. Verse 9. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. It's his son, and then his son's son. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He's in the promised land, but he's looking for a city, that's a whole thing that runs through here we're not going to get into, but it's, it's, it's what God, it's this ultimate new creation that God is going to create. So that's, that's an example. That's the first example that's given. The second example of Abraham begins in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when, he, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Now, just again, if you're not familiar with the story, he doesn't actually offer. I mean, he, he starts to, but he doesn't sacrifice his son. But God tests him and says, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. This is where all the promises are going to come through Isaac. 
Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. In other words, in his mind, Isaac was going to die and was dead. And, he's gonna, and he actually was, it's like he was resurrected. But he wasn't necess, it wasn't necessary to resurrect him because God stops him and he says, no, look, look in the thicket. And he finds a ram in the thicket provided by God. And he sacrifices the ram instead. All right, so Abraham knows that God has made a promise and it's a promise specifically about his son. And he says, if God tells me I must sacrifice him, the only conclusion I can come to is, because I trust God, is that God will raise him from the dead. So I'm going to go through it, through with it. Faith flows out as obedience. And it's from faith that we obey God. You're not going to, you're not going to obey a God that you don't trust. Right? And that's what faith is, is trusting. You're not going to obey a God that you don't trust, but, but Abraham trusted him. Dallas Willard has said this. This is uh, a quote that I heard during one of our Lent services, and I, I asked for where it came from, and it's Dallas Willard. It's just fantastic. It's goes, it goes like this. He says, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe, believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. <laughs> we believe something when we act as if it were true. That's, that's saving faith. That's the kind of faith that brings us into a relationship with God. It's going to show itself in our actions because we actually do believe it. We don't just believe we believe it. We don't just say we believe it. We actually act as if it were true. All right. How is faith the fuel uh, for following Jesus? It gives us confidence and assurance even when things are going badly. It pleases God. It trusts God enough to do what he says so that we can obey him. Uh, fourthly, faith is how we persevere through suffering. Faith is how we persevere through suffering. So we pick up in verse 32 of this chapter, chapter 11. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others. Okay, all of a sudden this is going to turn. Because up till now, it's all like wins. Win, 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 win. But there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers, and by better resurrection meaning, you know, you're about to be killed, but you denounce your faith, and you're resurrected in a sense, like Abraham's son was resurrected. They wanted a better resurrection, which was going to come through death. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. 
since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. In other words, they have received it now. But none of them, all went to their, these all went to their death, not having received what had been promised. Which means that if, you're, if your understanding or definition of Christianity doesn't leave room for what, what one author calls agonizing defeat, crushing pain, lonely destitution, and torturous death, which is what's being described there, if there's no room for that in your understanding of Christianity, that, that, that it can't end that way, then your Christianity is not biblical. It flies in the face of what the Bible actually tells us Christianity is. The metric of faith, like the measurement, the thing if you want to see, do I have enough faith, is faithful obedience. Is that in my life? Faithful obedience. Not favorable outcomes. So it's not like, wow, I just faced three major challenges and all of them worked out really well. You know, I needed a job and I got a really good paying job. And one of my kids was sick and they came out of it really strong and well. And uh, I faced cancer and I got better. I must have a lot of faith. It's not the metric that God gives. The metric that God gives is faithful obedience to him. Walking in faith with him. Story told about a mystic back from the 16th century, Teresa of Avila. And in the story, she, it's, uh, allegedly she complained to God for all the difficulties that she was facing in her life. Life filled with a lot of suffering. And she said that she heard God told her, this is how I treat my friends. To which she answered, then you can understand why you don't have very many friends. <laughs> she, was, she was upset. We suffer partly because everything created by God is broken, including ourselves. This world is broken. That's why we suffer. We suffer sometimes because our values don't fit the world's values. And we can end up suffering. Jesus told us that that's what we can expect. But we're also told that a day is coming when Jesus is going to return, where he's going to establish a new heavens and a new earth, and suffering will cease. And so those people that died torturous deaths, sawn in two, those people, on that day, with us, who live now, who know Christ, by faith, they're going to see that day. They're going to receive the promise that they did not receive in this world. Faith is how we persevere through suffering because we know something better is coming. Something better is coming. Here's the last one. Faith is how we live all in for God. Faith is how we live all in for God. So look at chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all these people, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That's what we should quit. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, so he's looking ahead. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
It's all about a bunch of discouraged people, a bunch of people who are ready to quit their faith because of, because of what they're experiencing, because of the persecution they're experiencing. It's all about that. And he says, look back and look at Jesus. Look back and look at Jesus. Look at all this cloud of witnesses and look at Jesus and like Jesus, look to the future. There's um, uh, N.T. Wright in his commentary on Hebrews on this passage, tells a story about a day that he's, he's doing a, a, a climb, a mountain climb, a, a hike, and it's, it's a pretty, pretty big mountain, and the, there's, there's ice, and there's snow, and there's some things like that, and as, he, they're, hiking, as they're hiking throughout the whole day, uh, it's misty, and it's raining, and they feel like they're alone, and then they come to a plateau, and right about the moment that they come to the plateau, the sun comes out for a few moments, and they see that they're not alone. They look ahead on the trail where they're going and they can see where they're going. They can see there's another group that is already about, he says, two hours ahead of them. Okay, so they're almost like specks out in the distance. And he gets out some binoculars and he looks at them and he notices a couple of things. One of the things he notices is that there is a difficult patch that they have just traversed. They just made it through this difficult patch. And they're putting away their ice picks. And so what he, re what he realizes is we need ice picks to make it to the end. And they had them. They're like, good. <laughs> you know, I'm glad we packed the ice picks because we're going we're gonna to need it. The second thing that he sees is that they're kind of, they're, he can tell by their actions that they're like glad to be through it. <laughs> they're on the other side. There's some joy in the group of people. And so this is what he says. He says, the ice axe not ice picks, but ice axe. The ice axe for our journey is faith. If you'll look at these people who in a sense are from the past, but they're ahead of us in a sense, who they went ahead of us, if you were to look and see throughout all of chapter 11, what did they have that helped them endure through difficulty and suffering? They had faith, they had faith, they had faith, they had faith. That is the ice axe of their journey. Looking back through um, Hebrews 11, you just see that it is faith that makes the difference over and over and over again. Faith gave them the confidence to go through the difficult times in their lives. So the author now says, you've been given all these examples, like the hikers that are ahead of you, but um, you've got something more. You've got Jesus also, the ultimate example. You've got Jesus, the ultimate example. And, and then he, he, he says, keep your eyes on Jesus. And, and um, I want to read to you just the, the last couple of verses that I read, Hebrews 12, 2 through 3. But I want to read to you from the message translations. You just listen. Don't follow in your own Bible. Just listen. And then I'm going to pull out a few key phrases and we're done. All right. But here's, here's what it says in the message translation. I think it captures the, the urgency and the excitement and what the author is trying to get at. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Jesus has been in this race. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in a place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, Go over that story again, item by item, that long litany 
of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. That'll be the fuel that you need for following Jesus. So a few phrases that are in there that, that, that we can take home with us and really think about what does this look like in our lives. Um, one is keep your eyes on Jesus. Remembering he began the race and he finished it. He's, he, he lived out the race that we're on. All right, so keep your eyes on Jesus. Study how he did it. See, he never, one of the ways that he did it, he never lost sight of where he was going. The author tells us. So that's one thing that we can learn from how he did it. And when you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over the story again and again. Item by item. I don't think you can exhaust the life of Jesus. Uh, every time, depending on what our circumstances are, if we come to it, not just to get information about the story, like I know that story, I know that story, I know that story, but we come with whatever it is that we're going through, all of a sudden, and we look at it item by item, how Jesus lived his life, all of a sudden we get direction for our own lives. We, we learn what it means to live out a life of faith. It's what we do every week when we gather together. It's part of the reason that we're called to worship together and to gather together, is so that we can go over the story over and over. Because there's all kinds of stories. All week long, we, we hear all kinds of stories. I mean, we're not even aware of it. I mean, this is, this is one of the things that I'm trying to, trying to get into my own head, trying to share with my friends, trying to see, you know, help, help parents see, help kids see, that every day, wherever we go, we live within stories. And, and the story that we get day after day, every television show, every book that's written now, everything, everything is, the story is, this is all there is. Go for everything you can. Pleasure is important. Don't ever deny yourself what you really, really want. That's, that's the story that we hear. This chapter says, it, no, we're part of a different story. And it means sometimes suffering and sometimes not even seeing the thing that God has promised that we have to wait actually until after we've died and we might die a horrible death. That's the story that we're in. But it's worth it. Look at Jesus. It's worth it because it's eternity compared to this little tiny dot on a line that goes on forever. It's a whole different story that we hear. And that's why we need to gather together. That's why we need to look at scripture. That's why we need to speak to each other about that story. Rehearsing it over and over and over and over again. When we take communion, it's part of rehearsing that story. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us. We live in that story. The other stories end badly. They do. They all end badly. This is a story, the true story, and it's better than all the other stories. So let's remember it. Let's rehearse it. Let's, let's go over it line by line, <laughs> item by item, reminding each other, reminding ourselves through his word the story that we're in. That's what will give us the faith to persevere through whatever the world's going to throw at us. Let's pray.